today comes from Luke chapter 8, beginning with verse 4. When a great crowd had gathered and the people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell on the path and was trampled on. The birds of the air ate it up. Some fell on the rock, and as it grew, it withered for lack of moisture. Some fell on the thorns, and the thorns grew with it and choked it. Some fell into the good soil, and when it grew, it produced a hundredfold. As he said this, he called out, Let anyone with ears hear, to hear listen. Then his disciples asked him what his parable meant. He said, To you has, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But to others I speak in parables, so that looking they may not perceive, and listening they may not understand. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The ones on the path are those who have heard, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so they may not believe and be saved. The ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy, but these have no root. They believe only for a while, and in a time of testing fall away. As for what fell among the thorns, these are the ones who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. But as for the good soil, these are the ones who, when they hear the word, hold it fast and honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience and patient endurance. This is the word of God for the people of God. So there's this little boy. He um, is one of five. He, his mother works at a church. He grows up. He goes to Sunday school every day. And he is the type of kid that a lot of people bless his heart. He's difficult. He's mean to his Sunday school teachers. He is getting thrown out of church choir. Um, causing all kinds of problems, talking, being belligerent, acting like he owns the place, acting like because his mom works at the church, he can do whatever he wants, acting with entitlement. His teachers, I would imagine, are at at their end of their rope. They don't know what to do with him. He's not responding. He's not responding to any of their methods. They don't know anything that's happening They don't know what to do to make this kid behave and listen to the things that they're trying to teach him. Now, remember that story. Remember, just hold it in the back of your head. I promise it will be relevant. But let's get to our text. Let's get to the text, this very familiar text. I think outside of maybe the parable of the Good Samaritan or the parable of the prodigal son, this might be one of the better-known parables of the Bible, the parable of the sower. It occurs in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John is different. He's special. Um, Scholars often refer to Matthew, Mark, and Luke as the synoptic gospels. Because they contain so many similarities throughout their gospel that we think, maybe, the writers were working from a similar template when they go about and do that. So obviously this parable is crucial. It occurs in three out of the four gospels. 
What that likely means is that this parable was told over and over again as the early church was working to, be, to create what would later become Christianity. So what makes it so special? What makes it so important, so much more important than the parable of the Good Samaritan or the prodigal son, which only occurs in Luke? What makes it so special? Well, if it's all right with you all, I'm a little bit of a nerd. And so I'm going to kind of take us through what the process of writing these Gospels looked like, what we think they might have looked like. So... The people put together the Bible didn't actually decide in the New Testament, didn't decide to start with the beginning, because the first gospel likely written was the gospel of Mark. Now, Mark is my favorite of the gospels because it is short. It is, you could probably read it in a day. Sit down and read it. Um, The most used word in the entire gospel is the word immediately. There's a sense of urgency Well, so Mark writes his gospel first, and it gets distributed, and then Matthew comes along a couple years later, and he expands on what Mark wrote. He adds more details. He adds the Sermon on the Mount. He adds Jesus' genealogy, and he really emphasizes Jesus' Jewish heritage and Jesus' fulfillment of Jewish prophecy. And then Luke, the physician, comes on later, and he writes his own gospel. He, em- he emphasizes Jesus' ministry to the outcast. He shows that Jesus, he emphasizes that Jesus came for all people, both Jew and Gentile. Now, it's not that Mark and Matthew didn't emphasize these things, or didn't have these things, but Luke just emphasizes it more. So what does this have to do with our story? with the parable of the sower? Well, Matthew and Mark only include the parable. If you go into where it is in Matthew and Mark, you'll just get those first little verse where it's like the seed went in the rocks and the seed went in the weeds, and then it ends, and then they move on to the next thing. But Luke doesn't do that. He continues. It's the only gospel where we get an explanation of any parable. Of Jesus, explain, Jesus explains the purpose of parables sometimes. But Luke is the only gospel where Jesus explains a specific parable. I think, and some scholars might agree with me, that this is because when Matthew and Mark's gospels were written, people were asking questions about this parable. They didn't understand it. They didn't know what it meant They didn't know what the purpose of this parable is. So when Luke comes about and he writes his gospel again, he's like, no, no, let's remember what Jesus said about this parable. Let's remember what he taught us. So what is the purpose? Well, in verse 11, the seed is the word of God. Now the word, the word, is the Greek word logos. It does mean word, But it can mean a lot more than that. The most common or most known use of this word is in John chapter 1. In the beginning was the word. In the beginning was the logos. Its basic meaning is utterance, speech, word, message. So this verse could be translated as the seed is the utterance of God. 
The seed is the message of God. The seed is the speech of God. But words a little, it flows a little better. So we'll use a word. Luke goes on to say that each instance and situation represents a different person who hears the word and how that situation affects how they will take in the word or message of God. And we can take that and we can apply it to ourselves. We can think about how it affects ourselves, how sometimes we're in those weeds and we're being choked by the word or by the world and we can't hear what God is trying to do for us. Or we're on the path and we completely miss what God is trying to do and we are swept away. And this might be the interpretation that you've heard from the pulpit in your Sunday school classes. This might be what is there. And it's what Luke says, and it's not wrong. But the interpretation goes in to say that we need to make sure we are in the good soil so that the word of God can take root. And this is valid. Like, I'm not going to argue, I'm not going to tell the Bible that it's wrong. I mean, we run out of town. Um, But the thing about parables is the frustrating and beautiful thing about parables is that they're layered is that they have multiple meanings they change the meaning and message changes depending on the perspective of the characters you're looking for through we interpret this parable through the lens of the seed We focus on what it would be like to be the seed, how we need to make sure that as the seeds we fall into the good soil. But bear with me and think of what it would be to look through the sower. What if we are the sower? And God does call us to be the sower. We are called to make disciples of all nations. To go and share what God has done in our lives. And what if we look at the parable of the lens that the various soils are not different people, but rather different attempts at evangelism. Different attempts to spread the word of God. Could this parable not be an example of how sometimes our efforts, no matter how faithful, just don't work? That sometimes our evangelism can end in what we might perceive as our failure. But our calling is not to give up. It isn't to go and decide when we are going to sow seeds. It isn't for us to decide when we tell about God or when we tell about what God has done for us. Our calling is to sow the seeds. You see, the sower doesn't stop sowing their seeds because they fall in the weeds or the rocks or the road, but rather the sower continues to sow the seed because that is what the sower is being called to do. It is the same with us and evangelism. Now, evangelism. 
that word carries a lot of connotations, and I can tell you because I went to Garrett Evangelical Theological Seminary, and people hear that word, evangelical, and they're like, oh, well, wait a minute. It's the, we think of evangelism. We have pictures of people standing on street corners. We have handing out pamphlets of saying, turn or burn. Repent, the end is nigh. Do you know where you're spending eternity? Billboards on the side of the road. But evangelism is much, much more than that. Dr. Mark Teasdale, who is the professor of evangelism at Gary Evangelical Theological Seminary, in his book, Evangelism for Non-Evangelists, defines evangelism as this. Evangelism is the bias for the gospel. Now again, bias, again, another word that we look and we think there are negative connotations, and there are. Biases can be bad things. They can blind you to certain things. But at its heart, a bias is something that shapes everything you look at. It is the lens through which you see the entire world. And that's what Dr. Teasdale means when he says bias. That evangelism is looking at the world through the gospel. The gospel is the heart of evangelism. What is the gospel? What is the good news? The gospel is that Jesus Christ is alive and present with us today. And that Jesus Christ is constantly shaping and changing our lives. Simply put, evangelism is sharing what God and Jesus have done in your life in an effort that other people might come to know God in their own way. At the core of evangelism is a relationship. Relationships with God and with those around us. With those who don't look like us. Evangelism isn't about making people believe exactly what we do. It's not about making copies of us. My goal as an evangelist is not to go and make a bunch of people who believe exactly like Austin James Teagarden. I am not here to make youth believe exactly what I do, but rather know that they can know God by the example of what God has done in my life. Now I've gotten a little off topic. Let's go back to the parable. The sower doesn't know what happens to the seeds. The sower throws the seeds and moves on. Now, I'm a city boy. I was born, raised in the Nashville area. I know nothing about farming. I don't know if you actually do that, that you throw the seeds, but it seems kind of counterproductive to a point of just throwing the seeds and not knowing where they go. But maybe that's how you do it. I, I don't know anything about farming. But we don't get to know if our attempts at evangelism end up in the good soil or on the road or the weeds or in the rocks. That's above our pay grade. 
What we do know is that it's not necessarily the end if they do fall on the roads, the rocks, or the weeds. Gardens can be weeded so that plants can grow and take root again. Rocks can be cleared out of soil and soil can be restored so that moisture gets where it needs to go. Seeds eaten by birds eventually become a fertilizer to the ground beneath them so that new things may grow. We never know what exactly will happen after we sow the seed of sharing what God has done in our lives. But it's not our job to know. Our job is to sow seeds. Evangelism at its core is a ministry of failure. Not failure in a sense that evangelism won't work. Or that we need to stop evangelism because in our culture it's a dirty word or something like that. But rather, it's failure because there are so many opportunities that we look at and we see them as and we perceive them as failures. People will ignore you, laugh you off, tell you that you're stupid, that our view of God is wrong. Other Christians will tell you that your view of God is wrong and that we aren't doing things exactly as we should be. But we never know what the seed of sharing our story will eventually grow into. Evangelism is tough because the success of the ministry isn't in our control. It's in God's. The last sermon I preached, I told you about my cousins who are more along the fundamental evangelical line. And they like to ask me sometimes, they say, how many souls have you say? And I say zero, and the look on their face is utter terror. But that's because I don't save any souls. That's God's job. We don't know what the seed will grow into. Evangelism takes time and process. It takes a relationship. It's not instantaneous. I'm sorry, but you're not going to get a lot of people to turn and truly commit to Christianity by standing on the street corner and shouting. People turn to Christianity. They turn to God through the relationships that they have built. It is on us who already know, who have already experienced the love of God, who have already experienced the redemptive power of Christ to go and tell others about it. Evangelism is only a failure when we don't do it. It's only a failure when we perceive what we, when we look at what we perceive as failures as actual failures. Because sometimes what looks like a failure is not actually a failure. Because the good news is Christ is strengthening us to continue in spite of what we perceive as failures. So I told you that it would be relevant, so we're going to go back to the little boy. The little boy struggled all through elementary school with church. He didn't want to go. He screamed, he kicked, and he shouted, and he didn't want to go. And he was calling all, just all sorts of problems so much that his 
Sunday school teachers, his choir directors, didn't know what to do with him. But then one day, something happened. Something clicked in his brain. Something happened where he did that, and the teachers who were there, they were gone. They had left the church at some point, moved away, life happened. But something clicked in this little boy's brain, and he had a change. He became, he's about fifth or sixth grade, he went through confirmation, and he decided to join the church because his mom looked at him and said, you have to go through this class, but whether to join the church, that's your choice. And so that was the first time the little boy had ever been given the choice. And he looked and he said, after confirmation, he said, okay. And then he went through youth group and did all of this. And then he went to college and studied religion. And then he went to seminary. And he's standing before you right now. My choir director is a big influence in my life and he always says that as a child he would have never guessed what I would end up doing with my life. He would have never said that. Um, He calls me, he says I was a little blank. You can fill in the blank there if you want to do that. Um, But that's the thing. All those teachers who poured into my life when I was being belligerent when I was being entitled, when I was being the worst kind of kid you could possibly think of. They could have looked and said, oh, this is a failure. But a lot of them didn't. Because I remember some of the things that they say. I remember these conversations. The seeds that they took did eventually take root. So how will we be sowing our seeds today in 2023? What will it look like as we interact with our neighbors, with our friends who may or may not know Jesus and what Jesus can do for their lives? Perhaps it looks like volunteering in the children's or youth ministry to share your story with our children or youth. You can see me or Stephanie for more details. Perhaps it looks like sitting with that child who's difficult, that child who makes you want to pull your hair out and just talking with them. Perhaps it, it looks like having conversations that are hard, having conversations with people who are hostile, having conversations with people who don't want to meet you anywhere, but having those conversations with the grace and patience and compassion of Jesus Christ. Perhaps it looks like us being vulnerable and sharing the stories of when we get it wrong, of when we messed up, or when when things just go wrong, to be a witness of God's power and God's change in our lives. Whatever evangelism looks like, we have a duty, we have a calling to go and sow the seeds of God's word, to be a witness of God in our lives. So how will you sow your seed? In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.
May you go with the hope of God, the love of Christ, and the power of the Holy Spirit to go and sow the seeds of God's word in the world. Amen.